Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, author, and speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and today we are going to be talking about a permanent New Year's resolution. So welcome to 2024. It's a new year. And with a new year, many people make resolutions. They take stock of their lives and they're trying to make commitments to do certain things, make decisions that will guide their um, their lives for the next year. So things like perhaps losing weight, maybe some of you have considered that, or perhaps saving money, or even overcoming an, addic- an addiction. For our first podcast of 2024, we'd like to suggest that there is one enduring resolution that every Christian should make that is the foundation to all others. And so Aaron, what is that one resolution that we should make? And is it for everyone in all circumstances of life? I think it is. And before I say it directly, I thought what I'd do is give people an opportunity to guess. So you're listening to the podcast. Let me read for you several scripture passages. And I think it'll be kind of obvious, but I'm going to read several scripture passages. And as I'm reading them, guess what we're going to be talking about today? What is one resolution that should be permanent, not just something we make for 2024, but a resolution that guides and directs our entire lives, something that is part and parcel, a resolve, a conviction that we have every single day. Let me start with Exodus 24, 7. Bible says, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And then Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's a few more. Psalm 119, 11. I have two from Psalm 119. This is verse 11. I, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew 4, 4. These are for the New Testament only people. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's two more. 1 Timothy 4, 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So our listeners are sharp people. By now, they, they know what we're talking about. One resolution that we need to make is to be consistent readers of God's holy word. We could say like water to a fish, or like air to our lungs, like sunshine to photosynthesis in a flower. Every believer must spend daily time in the life-giving living word of God. And there are literally no downsides to it. It's a huge blessing. So here's a resolution worth making if you haven't already made it. Read your Bible every single day. And I would emphasize this, without exception. Doesn't matter whether you're on vacation, 
Maybe the only exception would be if you're unconscious <laughs> because of a surgery or you got knocked out. Otherwise, every single day without exception, no matter where you are in the world, no matter how difficult your day is, no matter what time you go to bed, no matter what time you wake up, mm -hmm. every single day, spend some time for the rest of your conscious life reading God's word. Not because there aren't other worthy disciplines. People might say, well, wh why would prayer not be in there too? Well, we don't know how to pray apart from the word of God. Mm -hmm. So the word of God is foundational to that. But what about God himself? Are you suggesting some sort of worship of the Bible? No, I'm not suggesting worship of the Bible, but you cannot know God fully without his divine revelation of himself. What about all the other calls and tasks that we have as Christians? It all stems and flows from the final authoritative word of God, Holy Writ, the Bible. And so this is a foundational discipline. So God, of course, existed before the Bible existed. And in that respect, it might sound strange for people to hear, but God is more important than the Bible. But the Bible is the living, breathing word of God. And in this age, God has communicated truth to us through the 66 books of the scriptures. And we cannot know him fully without his word. So we must spend time in God's word. It's foundational to all the other issues. It's a foundational resolution or commitment that literally affects like a rip has a ripple effect on everything in life. And you cannot be a growing, maturing Christian if you're not in the Word of God regularly. You just can't be mm -hmm. because the Word of God is transformative and it, it changes us from the inside out. Yeah. So that's our subject. Resolve to read the Word of God every single day without exception from this day forward until you're dead. Awesome. And you'll be blessed by it. Awesome. Okay, so let's offer some how-tos, but maybe before we do that, uh, what's your general sense of how many Christians are actually doing this already? <clears throat> I think it varies from church to church and group to group because some churches emphasize Bible reading. We've done Bible reading challenges in our church. The word Bible is in our middle name. So we, we, we would expect and anticipate that if you create a culture where you're encouraging people to read their Bible, you're going to have more people reading it. Not that we're the only church doing that. Of course, there are thousands and thousands of biblically committed Christian churches. There are churches, though, that tend to skirt around the issues. Bible reading is maybe not important. They're more into social activism or whatnot. Nothing wrong with social activism if it's biblical. But mm -hmm. reading the Word of God, commitment to the Word of God, I think my sense is it varies depending on what kind of church you're in and who, who you associate with. But here are some statistics. So uh, there's a website called Statista.com, and, and I don't make... I don't take statistics as you know gospel truth, but they give us a general sense of where people are at with regard to these issues. These are statistics that are fairly recent from 2018 to 2021. Mm -hmm. Focuses on uh, American Christians, but uh, probably has application to Canadians um, and uh, English and Scotch and Irish and you know people from English speaking countries around the world. And uh, it, it might also have uh, maybe these statistics are too true in non English speaking countries. I don't know, but just to kind of get us thinking a little bit. So, according to their research, they're suggesting that around 13% of Americans, which I thought was a pretty high number, read it daily mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Not just 13% um, of people who claim to be Christian, but 13% of Americans claim to read it daily. It's that's, that's pretty cool, actually, I think. Around 30%, however, have said they've never read it, which mm. is 
which is sad. And and I, I think because Canada is far more secularized, yep. which is just another word for antichrist than than the US. Um, I would say the passion level of Christians in Canada tends to be a wee bit higher because it's kind of like a do or die culture. There's not a lot of, I don't think there's a lot of room for mediocre Christianity in Canada. It's you're either in or you're out. But in the US, there's probably a bit more of a challenge with mediocrity, cultural Christianity. There's not as much maybe cultural pressure or stress. Mm -hmm. That's a sidebar comment, but I'm, I'm suggesting that uh, that's true. And where it factors into our conversation is I, I would suggest that the vast majority of Canadians have never even opened a Bible. That That's my sense. Mm. Now, then you got various groupings and their statistics of, you know, around 10% or so that have read anywhere from a few times a year to maybe a few times a week. So you got 13% saying they read it daily, 30% saying never read it. And then kind of in groups of 10%, 10%, 10% okay. thereabouts. Oh, maybe a couple times a week through to occasionally, yep. maybe once or twice a year. So you got a whole variety. The interesting thing about the word of God is, let's say you step back from your Christian faith and you just consider the Bible as a book. By the way, the word Bible is from the Greek word biblos, which means book. So it is a book. It's a holy book. But the, the word of God as a book, it hasn't always been in book form. It was in the form of scrolls written on vellum, animal hide, or mm -hmm. papyrus, woven reeds. The word of God as a book, according to Guinness Book World Records, is the most printed book by far mm -hmm. in all of human history. No one knows the exact number of Bibles that have come off the printing press, but they estimate somewhere between five and seven billion. So not too far off the global population that's currently on the planet. That's a lot of people, and that's a lot of Bibles that have been printed. Now, just to give you a comparative statistics, statistic, if you compare that to the Quran, and the Quran, of course, is about 600 years younger than the New Testament, but if you compare that to the Quran, the Quran estimates of how many Qurans have been printed, the, the Muslim holy book, range between 500 million to 1 billion. So even if we go with one billion, that's like somewhere between one-fifth and one-seventh mm -hmm. of the number of Bibles that have been printed. And in that respect, of course, that delights us to know there's more Bibles around than false teaching. But in that respect, um, it's without question the Bible has had a significant influence on shaping the thought life of millions upon millions of people throughout history and nations and governments and institutions, and, and that's a good thing. The first book... Um, the, the first Bible ever ever printed. So there's, most people probably have heard of the Gutenberg Press. Mm -hmm. And the Gutenberg Press was developed in the um, 1450s. It's probably not true that the Bible was the first document to come off the Gutenberg Press. I believe they printed a poem and maybe some other smaller books. But the Bible was the first significant full book, as far as we know, that came off the Gutenberg Press. So that's kind of cool as well. That was a, a radical technological mm -hmm. advancement by a man by the name of Johannes Gutenberg, who developed this along with several investors, movable type. Yep. So this, this allowed them to print a few hundred copies a day of various manuals or books that they were, they were working on. And that 
expedited the advancement of the gospel and the word of God around the wor world. Because if you can imagine, I have a friend that years ago wrote out the Bible by hand. It took him several years to do it. That'd be a cool process. My handwriting is atrocious. I, if I did that, you wouldn't be able to read the thing. But if you can imagine prior to the Gutenberg Press, if you wanted a Bible or I wanted a Bible, we'd have to buy a handwritten one. Well, if it took a person, let's say a year, mm -hmm. you're paying a person a year to write out the Bible, you'd have to basically pay them an entire year's salary. Can you imagine how much money that would cost? Tens of thousands of dollars it would cost you to purchase your own Bible if you were paying someone a fair wage, 50, $100,000, whatever the going rate is in your community for a wage. Who could afford a Bible, mm -hmm. right? You'd have to wait to go to church to have the priest read one. So it's pretty interesting and fascinating that the um, the Bible was the first major book printed on the Gutenberg Press, and since then has been printed over and over and over again. Now we have digital Bibles. This will be impossible to track. Most people have digital Bibles in the form of apps or websites they visit on their phone. When I'm preparing sermons, I'm always at Bible Gateway or other uh, sites where the Bible is printed out, cut, cutting and pasting verses into my sermon notes. I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I still read the paper Bible, but I probably read a digital Bible more regularly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do like the, the paper feel, but sentiment aside, it's the word of God. And um, we're thankful for that. So obviously it's been well read throughout history. Now, anecdotally, my sense, so this is my experience now speaking, my sense is that most tenured Christians, at least in our church, have read through the Bible. Most tenured Christians, mm -hmm. people that have been around for a while. Newer Christians, maybe not yet, mm -hmm. but we're challenging and encouraging people to do that. Uh, a lesser number have probably read through it cover to cover. And uh, most people will probably chuckle at this because I'm sure we've all heard it. But a lot of people get stopped in their tracks in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. they, they make a commitment. I'm going to read from Genesis to Revelation. They get through Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, but in the process of reading through the, the Torah, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus in the middle there. And people are like, ah, oh, it's so boring. Ah, oh, I just, I tried to read through it. I just, I got stopped. So what I thought I would do, just as a sidebar to your question, yep. I want to offer people a helpful tip, just as a sidebar why you should read Leviticus and work your way through it. And this is this is important. So this is about changing your mindset. And if you're one of those people that wants to read through the Bible and you've been stumped in Leviticus, then hopefully this will help you. So here, here we, here's how I would frame this up. Do you ever find yourself sinning? Yeah, everybody does. Do you ever find yourself sinning? So then ask this question, why do I sin? Like, why do I sin? Well, I'm, I'm depraved. I'm, I have a sin nature. Um, I take my eyes off of the holiness of God. That's why we sin. We take our eyes off the holiness of God. When you sin, you're always either full on denying or at least downplaying or forgetting the holiness of God, his standards. You're, you're being disobedient. Mm -hmm. So follow my logic here. You're taking your eyes off the holiness of God. But you you got to worship something. Someone has to have first place in your life. So when you take your eyes off the holiness of God, someone else, and it's generally you, fill that void. You start to focus on not pleasing God, but pleasing self. Your own appetites, your own desires, your own interests, your own self-protection. And what Leviticus does is it actually corrects all of that. 
Now, here's proof of it. When you're reading through Leviticus, you have chapter after chapter after chapter of do's and do nots, do's and do nots, all sorts of rituals and regulations and things you should be doing, things you shouldn't be doing. And it's like, oh, this is so monotonous. This is so boring. But what I would suggest <clears throat> as you're entering into Leviticus is skip ahead for a moment and just read the 19th chapter. And then once you read the 19th chapter, go back and read it from one, one end to the other. And if you go to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, what you discover first in that chapter is that all the laws that God is presenting to his people, those monotonous, wearisome, tedious laws, actually are reminders of the holiness of God. Those laws serve to accentuate the absolute holy standards of God. That to approach God requires that you jump through a lot of hoops, you, you, uh, you act a certain way, you say things, you don't say certain things, you treat other people in a certain way. So all of those laws are really intended to like weigh you down with this sense, this weighty sense that God is holy and to approach him, he requires absolute perfection. He requires high, high, high standards. And then when you have uh, grown in your appreciation for the holiness of God, because his holiness is absolutely perfect, it, that feeling of endless laws by the way, is intended to accentuate his his holiness. And out of that, as you read through Leviticus, you get to Leviticus 19.18, and then it gives you some laws and reminds us of the need to love your neighbor. So there's a whole bunch of laws about sexual relations and theft and how you interact with other people. So the beginning is God is holy. To approach him requires perfection. The word of God then calls us out of that appreciation for God's holiness to treat others Lovingly. Now, where where do those two laws come together? Love God. Think about this. Where, where else have, do we hear this in Scripture? We're to love God because he's holy and we're to love our neighbors. Well, Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 22, 39. The greatest commandment is to love God. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you're a gospel-only person and you're in Matthew 22 and you love listening to the words of Jesus, you will not ever fully appreciate what Jesus is saying in Matthew 22 if you don't understand what's being said in Leviticus 19 and in the surrounding chapters. So what the reason why Leviticus is actually a must-read and the reason why you're supposed to go through that experience of feeling stuck, of living under the weight of those tedious laws. It's actually part of the purpose of the book. That's what you're supposed to be experiencing. You're supposed to be like, man, man, there's a lot of rules. That's the Eureka moment. Yep. That's what you're supposed to experience. It's like, oh, man, these are hard laws. How many more do I have to possibly read through? That's what you're supposed to be experiencing because that reminds you of the holiness of God and out of the holiness of God, the need to love others as yourself. And as you're then reminded of that, you're reminded maybe of your lack of love for God or your lack of love for others. And you're reading Leviticus over and over again and being reminded of those two things, the holiness of God and the need to love others. Suddenly you kind of get to this point where you're like, I don't think I can actually measure up. And that's the second Eureka moment, which is you're right because you need grace. So if you want to accentuate grace in your life, you need to endure Leviticus.
-hmm. If you need to understand how holy God is, you need to endure Leviticus. If you need to understand the call to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to endure Leviticus. You need to mm -hmm. read Leviticus to understand the great commandment, the second great commandment, and in light of all of that, your need for grace. So Leviticus is actually a must read. If you're not reading Leviticus, you're not fully appreciating God's holiness. You'll quickly lose sight of it. You will have a reduced view of his holiness. You will have a reduced understanding of the need to love your neighbor. And you will have a reduced understanding of your need for grace because you will realize you can't fully measure up to all these laws without his grace. So uh, read Leviticus, right? It's not the primary purpose of this podcast, but I think it's a valuable comment. Mm -hmm. Read Leviticus, endure through Leviticus. It's supposed to be hard in order to remind you of God's holiness and his love. Now, near the end, I want to share some more feedback that I've received from Christians who have um, read through the Bible and and how it's uh, blessed them, but I'll, I'll stop for now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Well, that is, that is really helpful um, advice, especially Leviticus. Similarly, I was thinking the end of Exodus is where I kind of get caught sometimes with all the tabernacle ex explanation. You're like, well, it's on and on and on, right? Um, so that's good. Okay, so for people who might be newer to Christianity, maybe you could spend some time teaching us on the nature of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I'm thinking uh, you've often said that Scripture is not just true, it's transformatively true. And yeah. so how is it that the Bible is so transform transformatively true for our lives? Yeah, so <clears throat> this is there are many things that have been written that are true. You could read a math textbook and everything in it could be accurate, accurate yeah. formulas. You could read a, a history book. History is a little bit more subjective, but because it's, you know, they say it's the victors are the ones that write the history book. So you got to be careful about written history. But let's just assume you're reading a history book that's accurate. Let's say you're looking at a, a, a map, an atlas, that's accurate reflection of land masses and rivers and mountains and whatnot. So there's the Bible's not the only accurate document that's ever been written. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about the word of God is the nature of scripture goes beyond its accuracy to its transformative capacity. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. The nature of scripture goes beyond its accuracy to its transformative capacity. And this stems from the very nature of scripture. This is part of our bibliology, mm -hmm. our, our theological understanding of what the Bible actually is. Again, we do not worship the book called the Bible, but the book is the very word of God, and it has a capacity that no other book, even truthful ones, possess. Mm -hmm. The word of God declares within its pages and passages like um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, its transformative power. There the word of God says, for the word of God is living and active. It's actually being used by the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it has the capacity to cut deep into the human heart and expose us to our sin, to our needs, to our hopelessness, to our desires. It, has, it exposes us to our sin, and it doesn't expose us. So a knife can destroy. You can be killed by a knife. And a knife can also be used to heal. A surgeon will take a, a scalpel mm -hmm. and he will make an incision. He will cut you. He will open you up to fix something and then stitch you up. The word of God has is both like that. It, it carries both those functions. The one side of it cuts 
and reveals our sin. The other side of it brings healing, like a surgeon's scalpel into our lives. And the reason for this is because as Christians, we believe certain things about the Bible. We believe the word of God, first of all, is, let me give you uh, some I words. Many will already have heard these, but three I words that help us to objectively see the nature of scripture. First of all, the word of God is inspired by God. It is breathed by God. There's roughly 40 human authors that were used by God to physically write the word of God, the Bible as we know it. Their personalities are reflected on the pages of scripture. They have different writing styles. They weren't put into a trance, but the Holy Spirit of God was overseeing them to inspire, to, to God breathe his word through them onto the pages of scripture. So it's, it's inspired by God. It's also inerrant. It's without error. Does this mean that Bible translations have flaw, don't have flaws? Of course they do. Does this mean that there could be spurious manuscripts out there? Of course. But the word of God as originally written is without error. And if there is an error that we think we see in the word of God, it's because we're dealing with a faulty translation mm -hmm. or we're misreading it because we are uh, ignorant, we don't have enough information to, pos to, to read it, or we're reading it out of context. In other words, the problem is not with the word, the problem is with the reader. Mm -hmm. But the word of God does not contain lies. And third, it's infallible, which means it's both indestructible, it will endure to the end, mm -hmm. and it does not deceive us. It leads us into truth. No, in, in fact, this is, this is demonstrated in uh, Christian testimonies. I've never heard anybody say, you know what, I read the word of God and my life's worse for it. Mm -hmm. Never. P people have abandoned God's word because they're, they become more interested in their own sinful appetites. But the word of God doesn't make your marriage worse. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make your hope diminish. It doesn't make your suffering harder to handle. You read the Bible's instructions on finances. It doesn't make your financial situation worse. You actually are redeemed and lifted by the instructions of God's word. So it is it is inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant. And then subjectively, the benefits of that are, let me give three more I words, insight. You get insight. Your mind is illuminated by God's Holy Spirit to truth. Have you ever had this experience, Chris, where you're reading God's word and may, maybe you're just reading it because you just, you're just trying to be disciplined. And yep. as you're reading it, it's like, my word, I've read this before, but I almost feel like God has a giant highlighter in front of me and he's just like highlighting it. It's as if I've been reading it for the first time and it's just for me. Yep, totally. It could be convicting, rebuking, instructing, helping us to realize that people are people, that the experiences of David or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Mary or Ruth are very similar to ours. It's like there's this Holy Spirit connection, an experiential mm -hmm. Uh, exercise of the word of God directly impacting your moment in the here and now. It incite, it's insightful. It, it, the word of God has the capacity to analyze and assess human nature like nothing else. The word of God has the capacity to reveal the true nature of God like nothing else. It's amazing in that regard. It answers all the big questions, you know, wh where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is the path to salvation? How do I live in relationship with others? 
it answers all the big questions. In that respect, it is not only authoritative, but it is beneficial and it's sufficient. It's also instructional. It just it just has good teaching in it. You could, I mean, what topic does the Bible, practical topic, lifestyle topic, does the Bible not address? You want to figure out how to be married well? The Bible has everything you need there. You want to figure out how to be uh, a conscientious parent raising your children mm -hmm. for God? There's lots of instruction there in the word. You want to tame your tongue, the word of God. The buck stops the word of God. It tells you how to do that. You want to know, again, how to spend your money, the word of God. You want to know how to manage your body, your physical appetites mm -hmm. to discipline your body, the word of God. It instructs us. The word of God gives instruction mm -hmm. for all of life. And therefore, the the uninstructed person is the person that's not reading the word of God or reading and not paying attention to it. The Christian who is not regularly reading and conforming and adapting themselves to God's word is going to slide to the left or to the right. So it's insightful, it's instructional, and it's invitational. It invites a response. So I, I have a, a little bit of a pet peeve in that when I hear preachers preach the word of God and they preach it like this, the word of God says 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 this. Okay, you've heard your commentary. Let's close in prayer. I bristle at that because the word of God is not just meant to be exposited and exegeted in front of God's people. The word of God contains within it an invitation. And so the preacher needs to mimic that, to invite people to respond to God's word. When we read the word of God, there's an, an, an implicit invitation to respond, not just to fill our minds with truth, although truth in and of itself transforms the mind and the mind then should transform our actions and our attitudes and all that sort of thing. I'm mm -hmm. not trying to, to um, separate th the thought life from our action, but there are many people that have heads filled with biblical knowledge that aren't putting it into practice. Their lives are disasters. Mm -hmm. Their marriages are disasters. Their, their uh, personal economics are disasters. Yep. The way they present themselves to people is ridiculous. It's not reflective of Christian virtue. So the word of God gives insight. It instructs us and it invites us to respond, to think differently, mm -hmm. to look differently, to hear differently, to respond differently to the circumstances of life. And this presupposes, of course, we read it accurately because you can misinterpret the word of God, that it's preached accurately. If you're a listener, that it's preached accurately and that there's a willingness to submit ourselves to it, which every growing Christian will have. There may be times when we resist God, but if we live in a constant state of resistance, that's a, that's a symptom of, of unbelief. The word of God will prick us. It will hurt us. It will perturb us at times. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it will bless. The true believer will, will thirst and hunger after righteousness. And the righteous laws of God are the means mm -hmm. of understanding how to think, how to live, even how to feel. The word of God tells you how to feel. People think, oh, feelings, they don't, don't. We got to respect and honor everyone's feelings. No, you don't. The word of God tells you how to feel mm -hmm. about the circumstances of life, how to process your emotional yep. aspect. So these are, these are many, there's many things to be said there, 
But if you boil it all down, uh, the word of God is transformative, transformatively true, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's true, but it's also transformatively true. It's meant to transform us. It doesn't mean because you know it's truth, you're being transformed. Some people are resistant. But without the word of God's transformative power, you will not ha neither have access to truth, nor will you ever, ever be transformed. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians, they may have a foot in the door to heaven, but they're living uh, less than adequate lives. It's the kindest thing I could say, yeah. because they're not in the word of God. And there are many like that. It's very clear by their actions. They're, they're not being conformed to the word of God. Um, they must spend more time on social media or, or the mm -hmm. news than they do in the word of God. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's transformatively true. And I think when um, this will partly answer our next question, but when you experience the transformatively true nature of God's word, it kind of creates a hunger for more, right? You're like, want to go back to it. Yeah, and it's not necessarily that that, that hunger is going to be a daily thing. Like sometimes yeah. being, being a Christian is not always contingent or dependent upon feeling like I want to be one or feeling like I, I only read the word of God when I feel like it. Well, if we only read the word of God when we felt like it, we probably wouldn't be reading very often. The word of God often brings about the desire to mm -hmm. read the word of God. But there's going to be times when in our sinfulness, because we're tired, we're distracted. I don't know. We ate too much sugar. Uh, we have a sugar rush, a headache, whatever. We're going to read it. We're like, oh, we didn't quote unquote get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. How many people have said that? Well, that doesn't mean you stop reading. So let's just let's just say that, and I'll just make up a number. Let's just say that the average person reads the word of God and every three times out of 10, quote unquote, get something out of it. Yeah. So if they're reading it every day, they're reading the Bible 365 times a year and they're getting something out of it three out of 10 times. So that means nine times a month, mm -hmm. they're getting something out of it. You run the math, 12 months times nine, over a hundred times a year, you're maybe getting something out of it, or maybe a little less than a hundred times a year, you're getting something out of it. But let's suppose you say, well, I don't get, any, get something out of it every day. So I'm only going to read the Bible three times out of every every 10 days because I only get something out of it three times out of every 10 days. So I'm only going to read it three times out of every 10 days. Well, then maybe you're only going to get something out of it once every three times you read it. So now you're only getting something out of it a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. You see, so the, the less time we spend in the word of God, the, le the fewer of those opportunities we will have where we quote unquote get something out of it. So it's important quantity of reading is is important as quality of reading so we want to read qualitatively we want to read for impact we want to read conscientiously but i would just say to people read even if you're tired yep. read even if you don't get anything out of it just just read it every day yep. and there will be times when you might close it and think what did i just read i mean how many honest christians would not admit there's times you read the word of god and then you close you're like what did i just read mm-hmm the shame is, is on us, of course, but the reality is that's who we are. Mm -hmm. But reading it every single day, you read it 365 times a year, chances are God's going to get a hold of you at least several dozen, if mm -hmm. not several hundred times. Yeah. So read that's the good. word of God every day. I like it. So what would be some how-tos, the practicals of how to develop this discipline in our lives? All right. So let me just say this as simply as I can. And I know... 
sometimes when when we're talking about discipline, people want like a some almost sort of like a magical answer or something that is going to force them in some way to do to to engage in this new discipline. Um, like, what is the answer? How do what what are some things I can do to to ensure that I read the Word of God every day? Well. I don't have a magical answer for you. I, I have a, a simple answer, and I and I it's a tried and true answer in my own life. But I would just say this: it starts with a resolution. It starts with resolve. Mm -hmm. It starts with I want to be obedient. Mm -hmm. It starts with no matter what my schedule looks like, how bad my health is, or whether I feel like it or not, I am going to resolve. Period. To read the Word of God every day. I'm just resolving right now. I'm going to make that resolution. Mm -hmm. That resolve came to me 30 years ago when I was 20 years old. I was just really grabbed and gripped by a book I was reading. I don't read. I don't know if I've really even read any other missionary biographies, but I was reading a, a, a book about Hudson Taylor, who was a famous early missionary to China. It's called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And you know, I'd been a Christian for several years at that point in time. I was in my early years of Bible training. And uh, I don't recall like the specifics, but in my mind, Hudson Taylor was finishing his Bible. And I think it was his daughter had come in and he declared to her that he had finished reading the Bible for the 40th time in 40 years. So he had made a commitment wow. to read the Bible for the 40th time in 40 years. And I just thought to myself, uh-oh, here I am, I'm 20 years old. I've been a Christian since I was six. That's when I was converted. And I don't think I've ever read through the Bible cover to cover. I'd memorized a lot of scripture in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. I'd read passages, but I'd never actually read Genesis through Revelation. I thought, I don't want to stand before God one day and declare that I've never, in my entire Christian experience, read the word of God from cover to cover. I mean, how absurd would that be? Uh, and if you're, if you have never read the Word of God as a, and you're a Christian listening to this podcast, because a lot of people read portions of it, they never actually sequentially read Genesis through Revelation. Never. Do you want to live your entire Christian life, say you're a Christian, and never have read the Word of God from cover to cover? I mean, how how absurd! So I just made a resolve. I'm going to read the Word of God every day, and I could say this with absolute honesty. I've read the Word of God every single day without exception for 30 years. Because I made a, re a resolution mm -hmm. and I don't take days off. If I got the flu, uh, you know, I whip my Bible open. Even if I have to read a couple verses, if I get home at 3 a.m., I open the Bible and read a couple verses. I never miss ever. I don't even, I wouldn't even be able to fall asleep without missing. Literally never miss. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a superhuman because it, it, at first it's like you got to really work at that but after a while it's it's normal and natural i the 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 illustration i give is no human being that i've ever known unless they have severe mental problems forgets to put their clothing on and just leaves the house naked <laughs> nobody does that so the fact that you always put your clothes on proves that you have the capacity to do something every single day without fail yep. everybody remembers because you know what the consequences are Put your clothes on before you leave the house. Um, so we all have the capacity to remember to do things every day. And once you get into the habit, six months goes by, a year goes by, two years goes by, it's 
it's not difficult. I don't have to set reminders on my phone. I don't have to set alarms. I don't have to lay the Bible on my pillow. I just read my Bible every single day. Mm -hmm. Do I always quote unquote get something out of it? No. Mm -hmm. am, I, am, I always am I always reading lengthy portions? No. Have I read through the Bible? Yeah, I've read it from cover to cover probably six, seven, eight times. And then I've, I've done spot reading here and there or books. But it's a huge blessing. So it starts with a resolve. Just say, starting today, I'm going to read the word of God every single day without fail. I don't care if I'm in a tornado. If I go on a vacation and I want to read my Bible before I go to bed and I look over and I realize I've forgotten it, don't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Go to a store, buy one, go online, look up a digital one, fumble through your hotel drawer, find the Gideon Bible there. Just make a resolve. I don't care how tired I am, if I'm barfing my guts out. The only exception would be if you're unconscious. <laughs> I've never been unconscious. Since. Get somebody to play the audio <laughs> Bible for you. <laughs> yeah, just read the Bible every day. Just yeah. make it a resolve. And um, don't do it because it's a fad. There's a lot of fads in Christianity. There's theological fads, certain theologies. People don't really even know what they're talking about. They just buy into things because it's faddish, because their favorite preacher talks a lot about it. Mm -hmm. There's fads in terms of the way people dress. There's, I mean, Susan and I were talking about this this morning, how when we were growing up, this is going to date me. When I was a kid, one of the fads was cougar boots. Like everybody you had to have cougar boots to be super cool. Then you had to have tearaway pants to be super cool. And then you had to wear Benetton shirts or you had to wear Roots hoodies. And those were super cool. Now, one of the most weirdest things is these ridiculous $30 water bottles everyone's carrying around that's the biggest thing i'm going to spend 30 40 bucks on a water bottle to drink water because that's cool there's all these fads in culture and the word of god reading the word of god is not a fad we're not saying oh it's a fad you know let's make it cool to read the bible every day because it's a fad no this is not a fad this is not dependent upon culture or circumstances mm -hmm. this is an enduring command read the word of god do it for christ and then do it because you will benefit by it. And that the, the amount you read isn't super important. It could be one verse, but read the word of God every day. And do not go to heaven without having read the, the word of God from cover to cover. We'll give you uh, a bit of a break if you're like the thief on the cross. He didn't have time to read the word of God and it wasn't canonized yet. But if you've been saved for longer than a year, there's no excuse for you to have not read through the word of God. Just read through the word of God. Here's some helpful tips. Read it daily. Make it a holy habit, as I've already emphasized. I, I think the first few times you should just read through the Bible, Genesis, straight through to Revelation, in the order it's printed. Just read through it, cover to cover, cover to cover. And then you can experiment. There's chronological Bibles. They've kind of taken all the chapters and books, and they've rearranged them into more of a chronological order. Yep. You could try that. I've never done that. But I, th I think it makes sense, and it's it's a benefit to people. Mm -hmm. Try reading in a different versions. I'm not a fan of um, always reading a different version because if you have your primary version, which should be in your language, uh, primarily in your heart language of a language that you hear it preached in, something that is more on the literal end of, of translation philosophy, and something that is reasonably contemporary mm -hmm. to your um uh, reading capacity. So, I mean, I've, I grew up as a kid on the King James Bible and then we went NIV and I've preached from all different kinds of 
translations. But the one I've used for the last several years, which I which I still recommend, I think it's great, is the English Standard Version. But you know, we don't need to argue over that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn a bit of Greek and Hebrew, and you can sort of get over your uh, idolatry of a particular version uh, because none of the, they're all translations. But um, it's better to for the most part, just pick one and stick with it because you'll start to memorize and start to remember the passages. Mm-hmm. And it's just easier if you're in the same version, but that's just, that's up to you. If you have a different view, I don't really care. Don't send yeah. me an email. The Hebrew and Greek are great to rem- memorize. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm in that all the time. <laughs> exactly. um, so actually, you know, with regard to Hebrew and Greek, I, I have studied Hebrew and Greek. I, I think I'm reasonably competent, especially in, in Greek, but you're never really fluent in it, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you have all your tools. You, you can do word studies and word searches and look things up. And when we went to school, we learned all that longhand. And then of course they developed lots of great software. So most people don't do the long, the long form Greek memorization of declensions and vocabulary that we had to do. <clears throat> but, uh, kind of makes you a bit jealous. You weren't in school now, but anyway, um, we had to do the, the long form, you know, Gretchen Machen's Greek grammar is like, wow, I can hardly read this thing, but you get through it. Mm-hmm. You're not, most guys are not reading Greek and Hebrew every day. I'm not, but if I need to look something up, I know I have the tools. I know how to yeah. do it. So there, there's a benefit to learning some of that, but I don't want people to think, oh, I don't know Greek and Hebrew. I suck. You know, I can never be close to God. That's not true. Yeah. Jesus, interestingly, was often quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, the, the Hebrew Bible. So he was comfortable using uh, a translation. And so, you know, we should as well. I would say set some time that's uninterrupted. So in an ideal world, I, I like the idea of reading the Bible in the morning. Mm-hmm. The problem, I think, for many people with reading the Bible in the morning is you're not as in control of the time between you wake up and when you have your first duty. So if your first duty is you have a bunch of kids that yeah. you need to tend to and feed breakfast, you're a stay-at-home mom, or you're working outside the home and you have to be at you know, your job at a certain time, anything can happen in between the time you wake up and the time... You need you have your first duty. You just don't have as much control over it. So I probably, unlike most people, prefer to read it in the evening because I have control over when I fall asleep. Mm. And if I have to rip myself off of a few more minutes of sleep, I have control over that. In the morning, it's not an issue now that I'm an older guy. But when I was younger, oh man, I slept like a, a log. Uh, like a rock yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, you could run a freight train through my room, probably all through my twenties and I wouldn't wake up. I mean, I just found waking up in the morning was just brutal. It's just a biological thing. Now I wake up like all the time. Like I don't, I don't, I only use an alarm clock on Sundays. Otherwise I, I just wake up when I need to wake up this morning. I woke up at six fifteen, and I got into bed at six thirty. So gives me lots of time. I just wake up and it's part of getting older. You know, you just, Wake up more. Um, so for me, it would be easier for me now to just wake up and read my Bible in the morning. But when I was in my 20s, you know, we have a lot of young listeners. I'd hit that snooze button right up to the, you know, the time I had to leave practically. So I, I think it's important to pick a reasonable time. And for most people, I like the idea of starting off the day with it. But if you want to make it an absolute habit, I would suggest make your discipline of reading an evening exercise. And then if you want to start the day with reading more, go for it, but don't give up the evening reading because you have control over when you go to bed. That's good. 
So try chronological reads, lots of Bible reading plans. I don't even need to reference them. You can go on your phone, your Bible app, internet. There are Google, you know, message a friend in your church. There are all kinds of Bible reading plans that go anywhere from 60 days to a year. My one son has done a couple 60 day reading plans. We read the entire Bible in 60 days. That's a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. Someone told me that they, I think it was on my Facebook wall. I'll read some comments shortly. I think they read through the Bible in um, like, a, was it a week or a month or something like that? Like 10, 11 hours a day. Like, wow. <laughs> so probably during the pandemic. But yeah. um, there's lots of Bible reading plans and those are good as well. What I did might sound kind of simple. When I first started reading through the Bible cover to cover, I would just look at how many pages there were, mm -hmm. divided by three, 365. It turns out I needed to read five pages a day. So I would just read five pages a day, mm -hmm. go to sleep, read five pages a day, go to sleep, read five pages a day, go to sleep. And then by the, you know, I would try to end at a end of a paragraph, not yeah. the middle of a sentence. And then I would just have a little bookmark and, um, just read through it. And the next year we'd do it again. And the next year do it again. And the next year do it again. And that's just, you know, gave me a fuller understanding of the whole book. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of options out there. Yeah, that's good. You mentioned Facebook. I know you had posted something about uh, getting feedback from people. What was some of the uh, results of that? Yeah, I thought this might be fun for two reasons, because I want other voices to be heard on my show too. And secondly, I think this actually um, is a good testimony to the world. So I have um, several thousand people that follow my posts on on Facebook, and I, I did I did this deliberately because I posted a simple question. So the question I posted was, "Have you ever read through the Bible? If so, how did it enrich your life?" So that's my my. I just put, I put that up yesterday when we were coming into the podcasting room. I kind of I think fifty five comments. So um, I printed printed them off. I think I printed the first 50 off because it was an hour or two before the podcast started, but <clears throat> I printed 50 off. And um, these are just responses that people have given. I just want to read some of them. I, I'm sorry, I don't have time to read all, <laughs> all 50 or 55. They're all really good. Uh, I'm very appreciative that people um, have replied and I think they'll probably continue to reply during the day. I would just say, you know, jump on my Facebook wall and just read through those comments. They're super mm -hmm. encouraging just to see how God is working in people's lives. Um, we're not talking necessarily pastors or regular teachers, just run-of-the-mill Christians mm -hmm. that love God's word and have been blessed by it. I appreciate all of your responses, so don't be offended if I don't read yours. But let me read maybe 10 or 12 or so of them. Uh, so Robin says, amongst other things, I loved it. So she's read through the Bible and, and loved it. Chris said in his comments uh, in reading the word of God, quote, it was both shocking and tremendously life-giving. The pages were full of far more suffering and depth than I had ever imagined from the sermons I grew up hearing. Uh, it gave context to the challenges I was facing as a young pastor in a church that was anything but united, showing me suffering is an integral part of faithful ministry and encouraging me that God is big enough to sustain me in all seasons of life and enabling me not just to survive, but to thrive. This is encouraging because this is a pastor, right? And sometimes we think pastors just disseminate the word of God, but they don't have suffering and challenges in their own life. Hey, we're just as human as everyone else. Yep. 
and we articulate the truth to God's people, but we also need to be fed and refueled by the Word of God. It's a mistake to just read the Word of God to prepare for sermons. Mm -hmm. need to re read the Word of God for life change. Uh, Lisa said among her comments, it is amazing to me that God has done in me through his word in the last uh, few years. I highly recommend reading all of it. Mm -hmm. Melissa said, I always read the Bible, but this has brought discipline and a craving for it daily. Susie said, uh, God gives me direction for a decision or courage to do the right thing. Sometimes it guided me in my prayer life. His mm -hmm. word really is my daily bread. I could not survive without it. When I fail to put in effort, I suffer. I say it again. I could not do life without his word. Uh, moving down a little bit. Uh, Linda says, it's alive and revealing. Sin is made clear. The gospel is rest. Soothes our souls from a wicked and perverse mm -hmm. world. Elizabeth says, I am wiser, calmer, more full of grace, a better employee, a better family member, a better member of the body. I believe she's referring there to the church, by the way. Mm -hmm. I have courage in him to do things I never thought possible. Um, let me see here. Megan says, it has certainly helped my growth process of sanctification as a Christian. It has challenged me and has also given me clear instruction on how to handle almost any situation in life. This is an interesting one from a fellow by the name of Jeff. Uh, he said, I would not use the word enrich. How about radically transform? Yeah. Well, he, he must be, um, he must have guessed what we're going to talk about in our show here today. This is interesting. He says, prior to that, prior to coming to faith, prior to that, I had been ceremonially adopted into the family of the chief medicine man of the Lakota nation and was a traditional pipe carrier and sun dancer, like a priest for about 13 years. After I was born again, words, phrases, and verses would literally leap off the page of the Bible when I read it. We, we discussed that a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. Chris, with that profound experiential engagement that we have with God's word. He goes on to write, a book that I had enjoyed reading on and off since I was a kid. Now I knew it was the veritable word of God and totally changed my life. Awesome. Super cool. Uh, a couple more. Jocelyn says, um, the Bible helped the Bible daily helped me to check my heart attitude as I went about my day and helped me to think Christianly about my life. Reading the Bible has been a source of comfort to me. It has been a source of guidance and helped understand myself better. Jennifer says it guides my decisions, my prayers, mm -hmm. uh, my choices. Let me, let me read two more. I have a, I'd like to read them all, but let me just read a couple more. Uh, let me see. Who's this here? We have, um, Jason. Jason says in his comments, enriched, question mark, uh, convicted of sin and trials. I learned discipline and there are many days I felt completely overcome. This drove me more to prayer and seeking answers, the joy of understanding why, who God is and his character, who I am in Christ, the perfect counsel of mm -hmm. God's will before time. And that I was chosen to be a part of his kingdom forever, joy unspeakable, the freedom and truth uh, the freedom and truth have given me hope that is truly unfading. Glenn says, uh, no doubt it is the Holy Spirit's direction, directing me to increase my sanctification and incrementally expand my wisdom. So hopefully that wet people's appetites. Read those comments. It's super encouraging. And the reason why I think it's a testimony is because I'm hoping a lot of unbelievers are reading those comments. 
mm-hmm. thinking, wow, these, these people actually mean it. These people actually can testify that the word of God is and continues to transform their lives. So mm-hmm. keep filling up that page with, with your comments. It's a blessing to me to read them. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing to other Christians who are reading them. Hopefully it's encouraging and convicting all at once, but I think it's also a wonderful testimony to a watching world that the word of God actually transforms us and actually works and actually accomplishes its purposes. So it's January. What's the date now? I can't remember. Third, That's fourth, a good question. fifth. We are the fourth. We're the fourth today. Okay. So we're four days in to January. Circle this date in your calendar. This is the day if you're not already. Mm-hmm. Read the word of God every conscious day mm-hmm. for the rest of your life until you're dead <laughs> and you won't regret it. You'll never regret it. So that's the challenge. And hopefully, um, as simple as it is, it's one that really stirs hearts and brings blessing to many in the years and decades to come until the Lord Jesus comes back. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Aaron. Thank you also for the testimony of your example and just seeing how that's worked out in your life. To our listeners, we want to thank you for sticking with us into the new year. And uh, we've got lots of exciting things coming up. I know some of you have heard in the end of previous podcasts, we mentioned Beachhead Media, a new initiative that we are starting. And we have a mobile app that we are developing and it's not quite ready yet, but it's been submitted to the, the various iPhone or Apple, Google Play stores. And so we're about three weeks or so out from being able to see that. So uh, just hold on and that will be uh, available shortly. As usual, our podcast is also available on the regular platforms on Spotify, over on um, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, pursuitofglory.org, all those uh, ones that we mention regularly. But hopefully this will be another uh, way for you to engage with leadership now and a variety of other good quality content. So looking forward to that. Uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't, and we'll see you or see you. We'll hear you. You'll hear from, you'll hear from us if you tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.